0: You know, I, I imagine there's been some points in your life where you felt like you were on top of the world. You, uh, you would describe yourself this way. This guy's awesome. Right? Or this gal's awesome. You just felt like you were incredible. Uh, You deserved some good things that came towards you in life and some things that didn't come towards you in life that were good. You thought you deserved those as well. You know, you just felt like, man, I'm just a good person and I'm awesome. And you probably had a couple moments like that in your life where you just had those feelings. But I imagine there's been the opposite that's been true in your life as well. That there's been moments in your life where you didn't feel all that awesome and felt in fact, you probably would describe yourself as feeling a little bit like trash, um, unworthy, undeserving, unlovable. Um, you know, oftentimes when we go through those seasons of life where we feel like we're not worth anything and we're uh, we're not deserving of anything good, um, often those uh, times come as a result of mistakes and failures and sin that we've committed in our life, right? Maybe you're a husband and you let your wife down and it kinda led you to feel that way, or you're a wife and uh, you let your husband down. You're a father or a mother and you let your kids down. Um, you made some promises and you didn't keep those promises. Uh, you made some vows that you'd never do something and then you went and did the very thing you vowed you'd never do again. Maybe for you, you, uh, you did some things hoping that those things would make you feel better and they actually just made you feel worse. Uh, you drank too much again, it was supposed to make you feel better and it just made you feel, feel like trash, made you feel like you were unworthy, undeserving. Um, you uh, looked at some pornography and it was supposed to make your life a little bit better and just left you feeling so low again. Um, you, uh, you know, chose the pathway of bitterness because it was going to make your life better rather than forgiveness. And it just left you feeling worse than ever before. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, we start feeling really, really bad and really, really unworthy. And it's often a, a, as a result of our own failures and mistakes in life. But here's the thing about failure, and we've all experienced failure, and we've all experienced some of the emotions that I just described because of some of the things that I just described. And for some of you, it's totally different, right? You gossiped about someone, you chose self-righteousness, you did some things, and, and then afterwards you're like, oh, why did I do that again? But here's the thing about failure. Failure has a way of making us feel like failures. Now some of you are like, duh. But let me describe what I mean by this. Something we did in the past has a way of defining us for our future. That we failed in the past, but now we feel like, or maybe if you're not a feeler, you're you're more, more logical, you define yourself as a failure. You committed some failure, and now you see yourself as a failure. And it's very different. One is something we did, and one is something that we actually project into the future. Something we project into the future. And here's the thing. If you start defining yourself as a failure, here's the thing. We easily live into the vision we have for ourselves. This is who I am. This is what I do. I can't stop, right? And you will live into the very vision of what you have for yourself. Another way to say this is you are what you think, right? You are what you think. And so how do we overcome this? This kind of self-deprecating, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm undeserving, I'm not enough because of the things that we've done. How do we keep from, you know, projecting our future from our past? You know, one of the things might be, well, if you are what you think, maybe we should just think differently, right? So we should just choose to be positive thinkers, you know, think of ourselves as great and, and concentrate on the things that we do well. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this well and I believe in myself. And we're just going to be positive thinkers. But here's the problem with that pathway. You know what you're hiding and you can't hide it from you, right? I mean, we can do all the positive thinking we want. But at the end of the day, the secrets that we keep to ourselves that are in our own closets... We can't hide them from us. And so this ends up not working. So the question is, how do we face our mistakes? How do we face our failures? How do we face our sin honestly without it destroying us? Because yes, we can just pretend it away, we can deflect it away, we can blame it away, but it never really goes away, does it? And obviously, self-deprecation is not the answer. What do we do? What do you do when you mess up? Well, we're going to find out another pathway. It's not just positive thinking, because that doesn't work, and it's not self-deprecation, because we know that doesn't work. It's a different pathway, and we're going to find this out from a group of people who lived some... 800 years before the person of Jesus came into the world. And, uh, and this is one of the most brutal, violent empires in the history of humanity, and they're going to teach us what the, the best pathway, the better pathway, as it relates to facing our sin, facing our mistakes, facing our own uh, uh, failure, facing it honestly, a different pathway the people of Assyria, specifically the city of Nineveh. If you've been following with us the last few weeks, we've been going through a series uh, called Jonah because it's uh, about the prophet Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. And what prophets do is they speak to the people for God. Uh, You know, God gives a message and the prophet relays it to the people, which is a pretty sweet job until it's not. And this is what Jonah found out, right? Because it's like, hey, it's a pretty sweet job to tell people, hey, here's the message from God when the message is good, but what happens when God tells you to say something or do something you don't wanna do? Suddenly, it's not that fun to be a prophet. This is actually kinda of true of us as followers of Jesus too, isn't it? We kinda of like the idea of following Jesus when it benefits us, but then when Jesus asks us to do something we don't wanna do, all of a sudden, we don't really like following Jesus that much anymore, right? Jesus is like, hey, I want you to love this certain group of people, and you're like, what? They voted liberal. Can't, I can't love them, right? Or what? They're these crazy right-wing fanatics, right? Okay, I'll equally offend everyone. They're right-wing fanatics. I can't love them, right? And Jesus comes along and says, here's some things that I want you to do. And it's like, well, I don't want to do that. And all of a sudden, we don't want to follow Jesus. Well, this is what Jonah came across. Because God said, I want you to speak a message to the the nation or the the city of Nineveh. These are your, your enemies. They're the most brutal empire. And Jonah says, no, thank you, And he went the other way, and he ran, and then God chased him down, and he pursued him with this storm, and as Jonah faces the storm, which would lead to death, or following what God asked him to do, he's like, I choose death, and he got thrown overboard, and yet God continued to pursue him, and this fish came, this big fish, and swallowed him, and he's in this fish for three days and three nights, and that's really confusing, and that's kind of like, whoa, I I don't know if I can get past that. Go listen to the first message of the series. It's online. It's online. We talked about that a little bit. But then at the very end of these three days and three nights, we find that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land, which means the land was dry until Jonah and the vomit showed up, okay? so I just had to clear that up because I know some of you were wondering, how does that work? Okay, but this is what happens next. Jonah, who has been running from God and God saves him, does not immediately go to Nineveh. At least it doesn't appear that way. We're told that then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It's like God had to tell him again. Because Jonah's like, I disagreed with you very strongly. Maybe you've changed your mind. And God's like, haven't changed my mind. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah obeyed this time the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through that city. Now, we're told in chapter four, it's a city of about 120,000, which is a little bit bigger than the city of Red Deer. Archaeologists have done some digging in the area, and they found the borders of this city. Its uh, perimeter is just about seven and a half miles. Uh, long, so it's a large city. Probably at the time of Jonah, it was a little bit smaller than that because it ended up becoming the capital of the Syrian empire uh, after Jonah was there. And so this is a very large city, and it takes three days to go through the city. Well, to get to three days, you have to start with one, and that's what Jonah does. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, and here's the message God had given him, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites hear this, and here's what they hear. When they hear Jonah say, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites hear this, 40 more days and we are done. Overthrown to them meant judgment. Overthrown to them meant we are coming to our end. There are some bad things happening and some judgment coming our way for what we have done. In essence, the Ninevites come face to face with their past. The Ninevites come face to face with their mistakes, with their failures, and with their sin. And what are they going to do? And two of the options that we talked about, options we often do when we come face to face with our past, with our failure, with our sin, one is, well, you know, you, you, you can just talk, you know, speak uh, positively, right? Like, I'm a good person. But you know what you're hiding, and you can't hide it from you. And as the Ninevites face their sin, as they face their failure, rather than excusing it, or blaming it, or pretending it away, they knew they couldn't hide it from themselves. And guess what else they knew? They couldn't hide it from God. God. So that was not a good option. The other option we often choose is, is self-deprecation, right? Because failure has a way of making us feel like failures. I guess this is just who we are, right? We're, just, we're, just the, we're the Assyrians, we're violent, it's who we are, and whatever, right? But as the Ninevites come face to face with their sin, they choose a different pathway. And I think it's a pathway, a better pathway. It's the pathway you and I should choose as we bump up against our own uh, failures and our own sin. We're told this. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. We are done. And what do they do? The Ninevites believed God. And at first look, we're like, it's not that, that crazy of a thing. I mean, they just believe God. But here's what they believed. They believed that in 40 days, if they continued on the pathway they were on, they would be destroyed. They would be overthrown. That they were walking down a pathway of pain. And here's the thing. I I think it was uh, Henry Cloud that said this. I don't know exactly, so I'll just credit him. Maybe he quoted it from someone else. There's a saying that goes this way. It says, people don't change. Often people don't change until the pain of not changing becomes greater than the pain of changing. People often don't change until the pain of not changing becomes greater than the pain of changing. You know, if if you're struggling with an addiction, it's like, I'm just gonna stay in, in the addiction because the pain of changing is pretty big, right? So I'm just gonna stay in my addiction until all of a sudden enough bad things happen because of the addiction, it's like, maybe I need to change. Right? It's like, I'm just going to keep on with my bitterness rather than forgiveness until all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm killing myself. And eventually it's like, maybe I need to change. This is so true of all of us. This is so true of all of us. But I want to tell you something. This is the fool's, fool's pathway. This is the fool's pathway. Why wait? Listen, why wait to go through all the pain of not changing Simply then, to also go through all the pain of changing. Because here's the deal. Changing is going to be painful. When you come face to face with your failure and your sin and your mistakes, going to the person that you failed or sinned against and saying, I'm sorry, the shame and the difficulty that that is, it's going to be painful for you. It's painful for me. But why go through all the pain of not changing only then to also go through the pain of changing? Here's what the, the Ninevites did. They, they understood this. But they did not go through all the pain of not changing. They believed God. When God said, hey, here's where the pathway goes, they said, we aren't there yet, but we believe you. We aren't there yet, but you told us where this leads. We believe you. I don't know where this lands with you, but I imagine that some of you right now are on a pathway to destruction. And just like God said to the Ninevites, 40 more days, it's 30 more days for you. It's 40 more days. It's one more year. And you know it. You know the pathway of bitterness you're on. It ends in one, one spot, but you just aren't willing to change it. You know that the pathway of your addiction ends in one spot, but you just you haven't yet believed God. And I want to beg you today, I don't know what you're facing or what sin or what failure you're running from or you're self-deprecating, you're beating yourself up on, but would you believe God for your own good? Would you believe God when he says this is the pathway of life and you're going a different pathway? As God comes to you and says 40 more days, 50 more days, the pathway you're on leads to destruction. The relationship you're in, you know it's not godly. Why wait to go through all that pain? The Ninevites believed God as they came face to face with their past, with their behavior, with their sin. But they did not only believe God. Or maybe I should say it this way, their belief led them somewhere. And this is what we find out next. We find out a fast was proclaimed and all of them, From the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This was their way of kind of humbling themselves. Sackcloth was a a way of humbling themselves. This is their way of feeling remorse, of in essence saying sorry, but it's repentance. And repentance is like sorry on steroids, right? Because here's the deal. Sometimes when we come across our failure and our sin and our mistakes, we're sorry, In the sense that we feel bad. It's like, oh, I hurt you. I feel bad that I hurt you by the things I did. Or sometimes, let's be honest, we're simply sorry that we got caught. And next time we'll make sure we don't get caught, right? We're sorry. We feel this kind of remorse. But that doesn't lead to any change. And this is not what the Ninevites did. They were repentant. It's sorry on steroids. It's saying, I'm not just remorseful, but I'm going to actually change. From least to the greatest. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth as well, and sat down in the dust. Here's the king, the highest person in the the city. He rose up to stoop down. He rose up to humble himself before the God of the Jews. And this is what he proclaimed. He issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals Herds or flocks taste anything, do not let them eat or drink because there's something more important right now than food. This is the most important thing in our entire city. We're not eating because there's something more important than food. We've just come face to face with our failure, with our mistakes, with our sin, and there's something more important than food. And he goes on, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth, let them humble themselves. But not only humble themselves, he goes on, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Let us be changed. Repentance means to be going one way and turn the other way. We believe God. If we keep going, there's destruction in our future. We are gonna turn and go the other direction. And then he says this, who knows, God may yet relent And with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. God may yet relent. See, here's the thing about humility. A lot of times, we think that humility is this self-deprecating hatred of ourselves. And we come face to face with our sin, with our mistakes, with our failures from our past... And we just hate ourselves and we beat ourselves up and we hurt ourselves and we say things like, I'm so undeserving of forgiveness, I'm so undeserving of any love, I'm so unworthy. And we get this false sense that I'm so humble because look how I'm putting myself down. But here's the thing about humility humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And here's the thing about self deprecation who's the focus? When you're beating yourself up, where are your eyes? What are you thinking about? Yourself. It's not humility, it's actually a twisted form of pride. Self-deprecation is this twisted form of pride because you are still the center of your own universe. And you can't get you out of the picture. Humility, true humility, is not thinking less of yourself like I'm going to beat myself up. It's actually thinking of yourself less, which means your eyes start getting focused elsewhere. On others in this situation with the Ninevites, notice where their eyes go. They don't self-deprecate. They believe God. They turned from their sin, but that was not enough. They said, our only hope is God. Call urgently on the Lord, humility. Call urgently on the Lord, humility. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger. They pointed their eyes toward God because they understood apart from God, we have no chance. But with God, we have some hope. With God, we have some hope. And as you face your sin, as you face your your past, your failures and your mistakes, the Ninevites show us a new pathway. As God starts to open up your eyes and say, hey, by the way, the pathway you're on is not my pathway. It ends in destruction. The Ninevites show us you don't have to wait to go through all that destruction. That You can heed God's call, heed God's word in your life and believe him and repent and fix your eyes on him the god who is a god of hope and here's god's response it's so beautiful when god saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways when he saw their repentance he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened god relented from the destruction you know, here's what we learn about God from this passage. I think this is so significant as it relates to us coming face to face with our own shortcomings. That God relentlessly pursues you so to relent from the destruction that is owed you. This is your heavenly father. That you have a heavenly father that relentlessly pursues you for the purpose, for the goal of relenting from the destruction that is owed you and let's be honest when we make mistakes when we fail when we sin we know destruction is owed us right this is why we say things like i don't deserve your forgiveness i'm not worthy because we feel like we have to make some sort of payment this is why when you you know mess up with your spouse or you know you let your kids down you know you buy your spouse some flowers right it's like you're trying to make payment for what you did because you know that you're owed something We all know this. That's why you try to buy off your kids, right? Like here's some toys. I know I missed last weekend and I promised I'd be there and I wasn't, but here's some toys, right? Here's some, I bought you some chocolate because we know that we're owed something. We know this. But here's your heavenly father. Your heavenly father pursues you with all your sin and all your mistakes and all your failures. He pursues you so to relent from the destruction that is owed you. And I think when we understand this, As the Ninevites began to understand, it changes everything. Because then when sin and failures and mistakes show up in our life, and they will because we will make mistakes, and we have. Rather than self-deprecating, which doesn't lead to anything good, we understand there's a God who loves us. Rather than pretending it away and blaming and deflecting, And excusing our behavior, we know we can't hide it from us. It doesn't lead to anything good. This actually allows us to come to our Heavenly Father with all our brokenness and seek forgiveness. The Apostle Paul said it this way. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. When we understand the compassion and love of God, it leads us to take our eyes off of what we've done to beat ourselves up and come to our heavenly father who can forgive us so i don't know what lies you're hearing today lies maybe you're telling yourself lies that say god could never forgive me for this lies that say i am uh, god could never love me through this lies that say that i could never be changed I want to tell you today those lies are from the pit of hell and you should take your lies back from where they came. But there is a truth and the truth of God says this that you have a heavenly father who loves, loves, loves you and he sees your brokenness and he sees your mistakes and he sees your sin and he invites you not to beat yourself up And not to pretend it away, but to face it head on and bring it to your heavenly father who's pursued you and who will relent from the destruction that is owed you. And here's how I know this is true, because he did it once. He did it with the nation, the city of Nineveh, the most brutal empire, most violent empire history has ever known. He can do it with you. And here's what I already know. He's already done it for you. Your heavenly father sent his son Jesus to not only forgive, but to take the destruction owed you and pay for it by going through it himself. And Jesus died on a cross for your sin and mine. So we don't have to beat ourselves up for what we've done. But we can bring it to the cross where it's already been paid for. And we don't have to run and hide and shame and blame and deflection. We can face it head on. And we can be changed because of the power of God through the person of Jesus. I want to invite you today to take a new pathway as it relates to your sin. To come to your heavenly Father and lay at his feet and understand you can be forgiven. And you can walk in freedom. And I guarantee you, it's going to be painful. Because coming clean about our sin is painful. But why go through the pain of destruction and the pain of changing? The Ninevites show us you can heed God's word and miss the pain of destruction by heeding God and his word towards you. You know, today we have the opportunity to celebrate the love of Jesus for us through communion. So I want to invite the band up. We're going to sing a song. But as we do this, um, I want to invite you, maybe there's some things that you need to do business with God on. And God's been bringing up some things that maybe you've pushed down to the surface or some areas in your life that you're self-deprecating and you're beating yourself up. And you've never released this to God and saying, God, I accept what you've done on the cross for me. And so as we take communion and we celebrate what Jesus has done, by giving up his body, which is the bread, and the bread represents that part of communion, and then his blood, shedding his blood for our sin, that you would come to your heavenly Father and you would deal with some of that. And that probably means that you also go to your brothers and sisters, your Christian brothers and sisters, and confess your sin in community. J- Jesus' brother James said this Confess your sins to each other so that you'll me- you may be healed. Confession happens in community. And so as you consider your sin and some of the things that you need to work through, uh, I invite you to do that with God today as we partake in communion. But then as this next week comes around, to talk to some people that you trust and say, here's some thing that God is working on me. Some areas I've been beating myself up or some areas that I've just been hiding. And it's time for me to face it head on. Uh, This is a time for us to enter into repentance as the people of Nineveh did. So as the band plays, there's four stations around the church, um, and I just invite you to go take, the cups are stacked on each other, so there's bread and juice uh, stacked on each other, so take one uh, place, but two cups, and then just make your way back to your seats, and then we'll partake together. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and this is brand new and probably kind of confusing, this isn't for you yet. Uh, This is for those of us who follow Jesus to celebrate what Jesus has done for us, but I invite you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to consider what it would look like for you to put your faith in Jesus and consider what your heavenly father, your heavenly father has done for you, pursuing you by sending his son to take your sin and pay for it on the cross. So let's uh, spend some time in confession and repentance and then we'll celebrate together um, so you can make your ways to the four stations around the church now. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.